Podcast episode 153. We first host Marcello. And I'm host number two, D, Dimitric. Host number three, Corey. What's nice. Up? What's up? Man, it has been an exciting ass couple of weeks in Bitcoin, man. It's under attack. Is it under attack? It's not even, it's not even being dramatic. Sad. I think it's really under attack. I think it's. Who's attacking it? Governments. The way governments attack things that yeah, don't have boats and guns. They just try and law legalize its inexistence. I think I think and China's just doing what it always does. And it's it's literally it's it's such a high controlling country and people are using Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, ICOs to then do capital flight to take money out of the government. And that's that's exactly what they've always They've always taken measures to protect against that. What makes you think this is any different? No. If I work for Chase, can I sue them if I get fired for trading Bitcoin and the CEO Mm -hmm. thinks I'm stupid and he fires me? That's a lawsuit. I think it depends on what state you live in, but I don't know. Maybe. That'd be pretty funny, though. That, I'm convinced. I'm convinced in my soul that he actually owns quite a bit of Bitcoin, and he's continued to buy it this whole time. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't own it, like if he doesn't consciously own it, then he may be in like passing, gave valid like verification for someone that works for him that's responsible for whatever portfolio that he may own or wherever to buy it. So he either like knows that he owns it or he owns a shit ton of it without knowing. Okay. Let's, let's, let's start off by like telling the portion of our audience. I don't know how big that portion is. What actually happened? Like Jamie diamond said that Bitcoin is a fraud and that anyone using it is stupid. And then it's basically going to just go away after a while. Yeah. He's been saying that for six years, by the way, but I don't know if y'all know this. Ja- like Jamie diamond had like, they just recently released quorum, which is a fork of, Ethereum that's been altered in such ways to have like an increased confidentiality amongst consortium chains. Like that's a, that's a, like almost a brand new release of, of Ethereum for like blockchain type applications for doing financial transactions. And there's a lot of production behind it. What that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's the thing is that's the thing that I'm worried about, man. That's the thing that like, uh, Ethereum is great. It's really, it's really great. But the 
the establishment, the traditional financial incumbents are not going to use Ethereum in this beautiful way that most Ethereum users think it should be used. They're going to try to use, they're trying to consistently say you, you can do Bitcoin without the blockchain. No, or you can do not, blockchain without Bitcoin. They're not saying Bitcoin. that. There's people, people don't understand the difference between a blockchain network that is open and trustless versus a private blockchain network. And it's all has to do with the way the consensus algorithm works. Like yeah, how everyone comes to that. Well, they're, they're different use cases altogether, completely. And if you're going to use an open network, you need an open, an open consensus network, an open consensus protocol like proof of work or one of the newer versions of proof of stake that are coming out, like what Casper's trying to do. That, that, that increases the fairness of what servers get to introduce blocks and how to incentivize them to play by the rules. And if you don't need an open network, there are some use cases that a blockchain could be useful for you, but you don't need that See, consensus model. I think it's BS. I think Why? it's what all it BS. Matter? What does I it matter still to think you? it's BS because I think that if their computers, if they want to use the protocol, their computers need to play by the same damn rules that other computers play by. What are you talking about? What do you mean? What am I talking about? If they want to use don't the protocol, like private blockchains because that doesn't change anything. That's just a giant spreadsheet spread amongst a bunch of people that already have all the power, anyways. They're not playing by the same set of rules as everyone. Who cares? They're playing by themselves. If it helps them do something more efficiently, like keep track of digital assets amongst themselves, then who gives a shit what you think? Me? Well, I said it. So what? You're not a part of you're not a part of their of their sandbox. You're not a part of what they're trying to do. It doesn't affect them. And what they're doing on that chain doesn't affect you. It's it's like who cares what database server a bank uses to keep track of its assets? Who cares? It doesn't affect the way the open protocol works and operates and how that grows. We have to use an open protocol for open Ethereum or open Bitcoin because we're transacting amongst ourselves. And so for them to have other. a private blockchain on the Ethereum network, the Ethereum network has to have value, right? No. Why not? Because it's a completely different network. Who's running the Ethereum network? Everyone. Not- no, no, no. Who's incentivized to keep it secure and keep it going? Everyone. Everyone who's using it. The community who uses it. Right now, I mean. The community not, who uses it. When it goes it. to proof of stake. I'm talking about, no, the miners. Yeah, the validators. Yeah. The, they call themselves validators. That's what they are. They're, whatever. whatever. They're validators who are, who are mining. I'm going to call them miners. Damn sure. it. They're getting old school in this bitch. All right. They're the miners are the ones that are being incentivized to secure and validate the network. So there, that implies that Ethereum has to have some sort of high value in order to do all these things for all these people. That doesn't go away. So the more Ethereum, JP Morgan, and all those companies that can afford to buy a shit ton of Ethereum right now while it's worth nothing have, the more stake they have in Ethereum. Whenever it even does go to proof of stake. So so it's very clear to me that it's very it's very easy for them at this point in the game to say Bitcoin is bad. Ethereum's pretty good. Use it because we actually own all that shit. So it's going to be cool 
if there is a flipping and they actually just own it again. This has nothing to do with private networks. It has everything to do with what JP Diamonds, Jamie Diamonds, trying to do. You're you're making like four arguments at a time, like that. It's very complex, Corey. I understand this. But <laughs> First off, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. They have they have like kind of sentiment control over, or like they can control the the or influence what people think about the crypto community as a whole, especially because so many people don't understand it, and because of that, they can drop the price of something, buy a bunch of it up. And then, or like buy a bunch of something and then push it so that the price of that goes up. But it, it, at the end of the day, who cares? It, it doesn't affect the utility of the underlying, like open, trustless network. Like you can have, I get that. You can have miners who are greedy. That's the whole point of having a fair consensus mechanism. You expect that a good portion of the people who are validating the network are greedy that's what a byzantine network is like and people aren't supposed to be able to collude that's why it's trustless you're not supposed to trust the people who are doing the validation that's why you need these kind of slow proof of work potentially proof of stake mechanisms because you're not supposed to trust them why are you upset when there's people in the network that you don't trust it still works without them or with them that's the beauty of it they can participate in the network, but they're so heavily incentivized to play by the rules and disincentivized to break them that you can still use the network while they try and be greedy. Now, how they manipulate the masses' viewpoints on which one's the best or they come out and say something like China, there's a potential... That China coming out and saying they're going to ban everything or people taking whatever China did and then saying that is an effort to short the network and buy back in so that they can get in at an early price or make money off shorting the price. Because historically, that's been the case in terms of China says something, price goes down. They say, just kidding, price goes back up. I don't yeah, have any proof not of that. Just but... kidding this time. Well, according, according to some, to they're just, well, they're just saying you have to register. And... Well, you have to register, and they're not registered. According they have to, to some. get a license, yeah. They have to get a license to trade with an order book, but they can still trade it as a commodity without an order book. I don't know. There's a lot of com- stuff coming out of China, but I do know that those two exchanges announced that they're closing. So... What does like that mean? what BTC BTC China, which is like one of the biggest things, like the second largest. They're like, hey, we're done. We're closing at the end of the month. And then via BTC, which is a very large one as well, they're closing too. They're one of the only places you can get Bitcoin Cash too. So that's gonna be interesting to to see what happens to the Bitcoin Cash price. Um, if you can't get that shit anymore, if it's not liquid anymore, it'll be interesting. But what happens to all those mining yeah. farms in China? Huh? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like it, they can't sell their understand. Bitcoin. Like they can't sell they with can't, their mining. They can't sell with their mining. They can't. I mean, or, they can. They, or they, they can, can and they do it through back alleys. I mean, it's like it's it's not like they're either they're going to shut down or they're continue to operate as normal, probably. I'm and I, yeah, they just sell it to like they 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 exclude the average person from participating in this. 
if they continue I to bet operate you those as things are getting those things are getting nationalized. That's what China does. A lot of collusion. It's a lot of like us speculating on shit, but well, that's all you can so, really it's, do. It's so sketchy. It just seems so sketchy from the outside perspective. It's super sketch, but that's what go. I mean, that's kind of like governments have to commit to sketch to stay in power. All right, here, right like and after that, it's almost like a nature of the beast. Is this Bitcoin's fault? Like, is something wrong with Bitcoin because of all this is happening? No, nothing's wrong with Bitcoin, but I think it shows it sets in a very. I think China's setting a precedent that Bitcoin is threatening them, and this is how you deal with the threat. So that's that's one scenario that I'm actually worried about is because if they do ban all these exchanges and then Bitcoin activity drops to nil coming from China, which it probably will, and then the price drops and stays down low for a really long time, then other countries have now seen the working formula. They're like, oh, well, we'll just shut down the exchanges and then the government must know that like banning these exchanges, it's not going to stop Bitcoin. And it's not yeah, going to stop people trading it, and it certainly won't stop people from holding it. So, but it does affect. Stop, but, it does affect yeah. how many people can get into it and then get rid of it if they want to, like the ease in which you can move in and out of cryptocurrency affects whether you're not whether or not you're going to buy some as an investment. Like the people who are speculating with the price of Bitcoin do so because they know they can get out of Bitcoin pretty quickly. And if they if they then lose the ability to do that, or like you're a merchant, and you then lose the ability to sell your Bitcoin if you accept it for cash if you want it, you're not going to accept it anymore. So you're like you drop a significant amount of interest and utility, or people actually using it, if you can no longer actually use it where you'd like to use it, then you just you're you're back to like the libertarians, crypto anarchy people trying to use it to to thwart the government. And you lose a lot of the legitimate everyday business use cases that people try and use it for. But they banned it for purposes of the safety of the Chinese public, right? That's what they say. So wouldn't it wouldn't it make sense to have like a controlled exchange instead of none at all? If it's for the safety of the public? That's what they're that, I think that's what they're maybe trying to go to because they say you can operate once you get a license. The license is so damn expensive that that BTC China and via Bitcoin were like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. How much money know, are those because, exchanges making? It can't be that much in terms of how much they're making, though. Well, we don't know how much. We don't know how like um, if it's like recurring. I think that's a recurring thing, man. It's a recurring expense. Chinese Uncle Sam if, wants his money. If Google doesn't even operate in China, there's there's a bad percentage that bitcoin's going to make it out that's yeah it's a pretty that's it's a pretty pretty google, correct statement i'd say google and facebook and instagram and are allowed in china and apple they're not allowed in china so good luck bitcoin yeah good luck, japan bitcoin. south korea they're going crazy <laughs> with the volume of bitcoin it's just it's it's not the interest will be picked yeah. up somewhere else that's another thing i wanted to say is that when all those exchanges were going down our good old American exchange GDAX did $650 million in volume in 24 hours. So it's like the Bitcoins, it's not, it's not, it's just like a Behoff said. It's unstoppable. Like it's, it's doesn't, it's just not like other people aren't going to gobble up those coins anymore. 
other miners now have more of an opportunity because if the Chinese miners can't sell their coin, they're just going to stop mining. This is also speculation. They're just going to stop mining, right? And that gives the rest of the world an opportunity to get back into the mining game. So, I mean, it's not like Bitcoin just stops. If anything, China just kind of shot themselves in the foot when it comes to having ownership of Bitcoin, if that ever becomes something that's important. So, but I, I, t- I tend to, to, to view Bitcoin like that guy who's been on CNBC, that Asian guy. And he's like, millennials essentially view Bitcoin as their gold. Just like at the turn of the 20th century, um, a lot of people thought gold was the best investment. Or no, the baby boomers thought gold was the best investment ever. And it turns out a lot of baby boomers are stupid, stupid wealthy because they had that. um, Because they had that idea that gold was something that you own as a hedge against governments and what governments do. And I think if millennials, which is a very large group of people, are starting to get that sentiment that like, yeah, Bitcoin is gold, then Bitcoin is going to be very valuable. But it's it won't be, you know, I don't think governments like that. So. Governments just like control. Oh, yeah. It's been a crazy week, man. I know one thing. Jamie Dimon's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> He's a goober, man. You can't like, it's just, that's the thing with wealthy people. It's always funny. When they're saying like, I don't know about that thing, it's because they want some or they had it for a really long time and they're tired of people crowding their game. Or we give them too much like celebrity. Like we give, we we put too much stock in their opinion because they are like, I don't know, like who gives a shit what he believes? He's done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, he runs a giant company, but he does things that are within his best interest. He doesn't do things because he thinks they're awesome for the community, or like he, or even he may say stuff and comment on things that he has no idea about. He doesn't understand Bitcoin, or if he does, then he's he's making some. He's then he's being extra extra greedy and sleazy if he understands he, Bitcoin. Yeah. And so he if he doesn't understand Bitcoin, why should I take his word or opinion on what he thinks it's going to do? Just because he's the CEO of Chase or whatever, like who who gives a shit? It's like it's like believing me on medical advice because I'm a PhD in physics. I'm a doctor. Like, there's no reason you should believe me in medical advice because I'm a doctor in in, in physics. It, it's isolated. Mm-hmm. My expertise is isolated, and just because I have expertise in something doesn't mean I'm an expert in everything. And if you treat people like that, they're gonna they're gonna take advantage of it. That's why you see like Doctor Phil and Doctor Oz talking about all kinds of nonsense, and they have so much celebrities because people attribute knowledge to them when they have expertise in some <clears throat> some isolated field, and they take advantage of that. Is Neil deGrasse a doctor? Yeah. But it's, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say, "Hey, I'm Doctor Neil Tyson." <laughs> Like Dr. Phil does. Nope. Like he doesn't even use that. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a real physics educator. He's not trying to take advantage of his celebrity for his own good. He really wants to help people understand physics. I would follow that man in a battle. He is enjoying his celebrityism. Of that course. Word? Yeah, he's enjoying it, but he's using it for a good reason. And he, and he uses it within the confines of what he's an expert in. Doesn't matter because this is all simulation, anyways. 
the older I get, the more I'm <laughs> starting to think that's true. <laughs> that's going to be, I, you know how many people I've talked to this week, our age, that are like seriously considering that as fact. And I'm thinking like, okay, so we're just making a new religion now. That's going to be it in 10 years. Everybody's going to think this is a simulation. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's just get it over with. <laughs> let's just go ahead and make the transition. The Matrix obviously affected us on a deep level, and everyone's walking around thinking that this is a simulation. Machines. We should probably get into our interview. Fuck the interview. We got more talking to do. What well, was a long interview. interview? Whoa. Yeah, that's true. What do you want to talk See, about? Simulation. You stuff you want to talk about other than simulations? Black cats. And- <laughs> Black cats. Oh, no. Um. I don't know. So Bitcoin too long. Is a crazy. Too long didn't Bitcoin listen. Is a crazy space, man. China's garbage. Yeah, Jamie Diamond's garbage. Keep moving on. Bitcoin is already back up like six, seven hundred dollars. It's since it fell down to three thousand. Uh, so if the price is your major, uh, major indicator to whether you think Bitcoin is successful or not, it seems to be highly resilient right now. But this is very reminiscent of the 2014 electric slide. I'm it's thinking right around volatile. Sunday. Extra volatile. Yeah, I'm thinking right around Sunday we see a drop down to 2900 again because China's like, oh, we're also banning uh, fucking Fruit Loops too. And we know all you Bitcoiners like Fruit Loops. And so everybody just takes their shit on themselves and price goes down again so um yeah it's very it feels just like 2014 when we would get these little glimpses of oh okay the market's just fine oh here's another 150 dollar drop oh so the good news about it feeling like 2014 is if it does get that way 2014 i bought a shit ton i bought a shit ton of bitcoin at like 220 dollars so that was that was baller so (laughs) just keep watching the market and if you believe in the fundamentals, then and you know the fundamentals are only getting better, which they are, then this is an obvious investment of your time. And don't worry about all this bullshit that keeps happening. So, anyways, I bet my career on it. I'm I'm still happy staking that all my professionalism into into the space. I think it's going to pay off and pay dividends later on down the line when. Mm-hmm. This, this technology has continued to take over and I'm still a professional in it or spending all of my time trying to research it and understand it and help people do it. So, what cool. were you going to say, Cello? He said yachts. I was just, yes. But hey, that, that was that kind of lends myself to uh, the compliment that I gave you yesterday. How you, I mean, not to me, people in the space are knowledgeable and know Python and are continuing to pivot to different companies, learning more. You're gonna put yourself in a very, very you're future proof. You're gonna put yourself in a good position. Trying to make sure I understand as much as possible so that as this technology grows and people want to know about it, I have that skill set and I can help them do it, which if I spend I'm gonna be here. If I start now, I'm gonna be in a position that a lot a lot of other people aren't in, which then puts a premium on my expertise. I'm gonna be your agent, bro. Yeah, it's sure. gonna be like it's gonna be like entourage. Can I be Ari? <laughs> I'll be your hype man, like Flavor yeah, Flav. Like, if you want to future proof yourself, research this stuff, understand it at a fundamental level, try and build something, 
try and educate people. The best way to learn about something or make sure you understand what you don't understand is by teaching someone else the technology or something like that. Like maybe that's what we're doing is everyone that's listening to this show is we're help guiding them down the path of future proofing themselves. Yeah. It's not like you and I aren't future proof either, Cello. It's not I mean, we probably know more than ninety ninety five percent of the population about blockchain and Bitcoin because well, we have show. we have a friend who's a truck driver, so at least we're doing better than him in the future proof category. I really hope he's not listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, dude, uh, truck, truck driving is the most popular uh career in America. Yeah, by a big the margin. Way, it's the fastest way to make a shit ton of money with no debt. If you're if you're a truck driver though, you're not self-aware that you're the first job to get automated out, then that's dangerous. Yeah, but at least spend all that time not. listening to podcasts. So yeah, <laughs> No, but usually listening to Rush Limbaugh. But anyways, uh, I, I think yeah, we're 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 your we're your highway to future proofing yourself because I think anybody that listens to our show is most likely doing your own research too. Yeah, well, you should be if you're not. So, yeah, it's not that I don't think I think blockchains are a relatively simple like construct. Every time I look into the the back end of it, I don't know. It doesn't seem that tough. It seems like put like a bunch of simple stuff together to make a really complex thing. Cryptography is not simple. It's not simple. It's actually very difficult. You're right. You're right. People can't understand it if right. it's explained to them well. I, I, I will always go by that. <laughs> if they spend enough time trying to look into it and they find people that can explain it to them, they can understand it. But it's yeah. not It's not as simple. It's not like... I think getting people to understand... I think the first step to getting people to understand cryptography is getting them to understand uh, modular arithmetic. And everyone understands that uh, they just don't know. No, we use a twelve-hour clock, right? Okay. We say three. We say three p.m. Well, really, it's not three p.m. It's fifteen. You know, it's 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 fifteen hours into the day, but we mod. What is it? Mod twelve. Three mod twelve. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen mod, mod twelve. 12. Yeah. Well, so we're, like, huh? We're the only country that still uses that doesn't adopt the metric system because we're a bunch of idiots. Well, the, also, it would be very, very expensive to switch over. So. But we're the only country that doesn't do it. Here's here's how you here's, – here's your roadmap to understanding blockchain before we get into that. It's first, understand what a hash does. Two, understand what public and private keys do and how they work. Once you can under, get those as, as basic concepts and you want to figure out how a specific blockchain system works, the, what the first thing you need is an identity – which goes from public and private keys into some address onto a Bitcoin network. Then you need transactions, which create some type of ledger. That's step two. You need transactions, communication between the identities on the network, which are called transactions. And then you need agreement, which is your consensus mechanism. So identities, blockchain data structure, agreement on that, on that data structure, which is consensus. You can see how those three things fit together for whatever particular blockchain network you're looking at then you can understand it from a fundamental level mm. we just dr seuss this shit hoping you guys go out there and get future proof oh you didn't understand any of those things i just said that's that's what you need that's the order in which you need to look them up mm. we're giving you gold today giving you silver at least 
<laughs> Cello, I thought you were supposed to be the hype man. That's too early for that. Well, that's not what hype men say. So I don't. I do not feel as if you identify with that position, sir. I feel like Cello's instead like, of turned down for what Cello's like turned down for that. <laughs> yeah, turned down for that. That's why they don't have concerts at nine a.m. They have them at like eight p.m. They do in Ibiza. Why did you According say that to way? Wild on E, because that's how um, Brooke Burke said it when I was fifteen, and I watched Wild on E, Ibiza, and it stayed in your long-term memory for seventeen years. Brooke Burke, yes, does it that. did, sir. Wild that. on, <laughs> Wild on was the best show on television for a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, it was porn for like fifteen-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, like, look at all those naked ass, blurred out girls. I gotta get myself to Ibiza. That's pretty much that's been my that's been my goal since I was fifteen. <laughs> Go to Ibiza. It's the motherland. Um, anyways. So we interviewed a guy, he's pretty pretty big fucking deal. Pretty big deal, this guy. Joe, you wanna introduce him or Yeah, this episode is brought to you by these nuts. And Brian Hoffman is our guest, CEO of Open Bazaar. If you're That's unfamiliar, so weird. Huh. What is, why did you say these? Because <laughs> we don't have any sponsors. Does not having any sponsors make us look less professional, or is it because we're picky and choosy? Maybe you just act less professional choosy. because we don't have sponsors. That's yeah. true. I think I think it's because we're picky and choosy, which yeah. is what most single people say about being single too. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, so we can get sponsors. Are... Oh, we can get sponsors if we wanted them. If we really wanted them, we just pick if it. If we really wanted them, <laughs> we could get them. Yeah, I told you this, this dude wanted to be on our show for four hundred bucks to to plug his ICO, and I said no, and I was proud. So, <laughs> so the money's there. Um, yeah, if you want to do a podcast and make money, just give ICO platforms a voice. You'll probably be making about. Two G's a month. There you go. Quit your job. Go for it. Yeah. I feel like um, a lot of podcasts are already doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, open Bazaar is uh, an open source project that we all we all like, and I think we use it ourselves. So if you want our merch, go there. It's a decentralized network for peer-to-peer commerce online. You use Bitcoin. There's no fees and no restrictions. And we got the CEO on. And I don't ask a question until... About 44 minutes in. (laughs) He sat in silence, creepy. It was a nighttime interview, and he sat, leaned back in his chair in the dark for like 40 minutes, and then you see him creep into the the frame and ask a question. I was half half listening the whole time because I wasn't prepared, but then he said something that really made my spider sense go off. Saw that. So you lean forward out of the darkness and we see your face light up like damn kingpin. It was daytime when we started. I didn't mean for that to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, guys, here's Brian Hoffman from Open Bazaar dropping some knowledge and uh, trying to to introduce you guys to Open Bazaar if you're not familiar. Talking about Bitcoin and stuff, so. Here it is. Hello, everybody. It's D, and we're here with the crew, 
you guys, you know, you all know the crew, Marcello and Corey, but we have a special guest here today, as we always do. Project lead at Open Bazaar, CEO. Um, I don't know if you go by Grand Wizard, but I do know you are a Twitter wizard. Um, Pop Tart aficionado. Um, are there any AKAs that I'm missing? <laughs> no, that's probably too many already. That's too many. Okay. Well, um, so Open Bazaar. Um, it's a the way I like to think of it in my head is it kind of like a decentralized eBay. Um, that's how I've kind of made it make sense in my head. And am I like if this if that were a dartboard, am I bullseye or am I like did I just hit the one square and it's a worthless toss? No, I think that's probably like a pretty concise way to talk about it, especially for people that aren't really familiar too much with, you know, decentralized applications in general. I mean, our intention is to eventually get to the point where it's a marketplace that can support all kinds of different uh, exchanges, like um, could just as well be support all kinds of financial trades or it could support digital goods. It could be like a YouTube type of thing payments for streaming video and audio. There's all kinds of ways it could go. But right now, you know, the first kind of example that we were trying to build is is that kind of eBay use case, yeah. Yeah, the awesome. way I've kind of understood this like from the early days and what I thought was most interesting about the choice that you made is you put a lot of work into creating a protocol, like a, like a real protocol for, for creating marketplaces and then let people just use that at their whim. And the first, like the obvious choice of that is creating something like a decentralized eBay. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of a, like a market for you to kind of like, there's no ICO here. There's no, like you're not like OB1, the, like the, the company that's doing all of this isn't making a ton of money off the, off the underlying protocol, at least in an obvious way. Can you, can you take us through the, like the, the design decisions to, make something that other people can use to build a, a network and what incentivizes you to do that? Yeah, sure. I mean, first I got to take you back to kind of when it started. So the frame of mind is like, it's, I guess it was like early 2014. Um, you know, Bitcoin was like starting to get really, really big. You know, it was right around the time where the Mt. Gox build up to a thousand dollars kind of happened and like, it was that first wave of like a lot of just newbie people rushing into the scene. And uh, so when Dark Market, which was kind of like the precursor to Open Bazaar, it was presented in Toronto, it was like, okay, all these people are rushing in. They've heard of Silk Road. They know they can spend Bitcoins to do crazy stuff. The price is going up. It's a financial instrument, you know, all this stuff at the same time. You know, the idea of being able to take this magic money and like buy things and, and do things I'm not supposed to be able to do or like screw the government, screw the rules, just, you know, anything goes. This like wild, wild west of the Internet feeling kind of came back. And so when we all saw the dark market demo. That was just like, wow, this this is crazy. You can take this technology and really do something interesting with it. So um, I was surprised when they didn't want to do anything with it. So we built Open Bazaar, but like it always kind of started out basically as like a simple marketplace for for selling things online, sort of emulating Silk Road. But 
as we started poking around with it and building it, we were like, wow, this could be so much more than that. It could support so many different, more interesting things. If we built a protocol around it, we built like a contract system, um, which we have, which is not smart contracts because all that stuff kind of didn't really exist at the time. Um, you know, we could support all kinds of different things and people would build interesting stuff on top of the platform. That was kind of the goal. And so it's, you know, unfortunately, as we've seen across all the projects in the space, it's really hard. I mean, this is really hard stuff to build. It takes time. There's like so many avenues for messing up. Um, and, you know, our our focus has just been like, look, let's narrow the scope to a simple thing and like do it really well. And that's kind of where we've gotten to with, with the second version of Open Bazaar, which is like, we just are like, okay, this is, this is all we're going to do. We're going to support like physical good sales, for instance. And we're just going to focus really hard on that and make it really, really good and really tight. And then we can build off of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea that we don't make money as a company off of the protocol, like that never was our goal. It's kind of funny because now everybody thinks of us as being this big venture backed company, you know, this corporate interest. But really, as I wrote in this last blog post that I that I made, we never intended to like build this into a, a corporation, right? It was always intended to be this like rebel open source project that anybody could contribute to. It was just like everybody benefited by contributing to the project and got something back out of it. It was just self-sufficient. And the venture funding just allowed us to do it full time. And, you know, even sitting down with the investors, the investors were like, we have no clue how you're going to make money on this. Like the thing that was fascinating to them about it was like, okay, can I curse on this podcast or no? Oh, absolutely. Oh, let please, okay. please let it okay. go. I'm just after uh, you do. Can you say <laughs> shout out? Uh, shout out to. There's a certain guest we have in our Slack. He doesn't like us cursing, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean I. You know, we just. You know, he he. They wanted to know like like is this the te- kind of technology that's going to like fuck up all our other investments? You know, like <laughs> they they had invested in Etsy and Twitter. You know, and and and. Uh, Chris over at Andreessen, you know, he was, he sold his company to eBay. Like these guys all had these marketplaces, these networks that they'd been part of. And they're like, what's going to disintermediate all this stuff. They think blockchain has the potential to just screw all that up and they want to be a part of it. You know, like they want to figure it out. And so for them, I think in a lot of ways, it wasn't really like, oh, we're going to make a ton of money off of Open Bazaar. It was more like, this is like one of the most interesting things that we could possibly be involved with. We got to be there. And so they were willing to kind of step in and be part of the team. And I think they're scared at times. I mean, we have conversations with them and they're like, who knows what this could turn into. But like at the same time, I think we all feed off of each other and like the excitement over like what it could be. So that's kind of the frame of mind. Um, we don't really have a business model yet. Um, you know, that we don't we don't plan to keep it that way forever, but you know, we have to have a good product with users before you can start selling things to people or like providing cost, you know, costly services. So we're not yep. quite there yet. That's kind of how I always, how I was viewed. Like I've, I've listened to, I think every interview you've done in the space, at least in the, in the, in the podcast that I follow. Sorry. And it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's always been like, Hey, we're, we're just, we're just creating a network of utility. We're allowing people to do something eventually as that grows, we hope that holes will start to exist that we can provide services to. That's where our market's going to be. And it, it, and it seems as though that's how you've continued to do something. Like you're building something cool. You have investors that think it's cool. They're allowing you to do it full time. 
eventually, as this market grows, if things move in the way that basically all of us think things will move, there will have, there will end up being services that you can provide that you can take advantage of, like holes that you can fill to make life easier for the people who are using your platform. And that's where you're going to make money. Does that continue to be the way you see things? I think like the only wrinkle in that whole plan, I think, has been this crazy, insane um, interest in, in like the ICO and token space, which is it's not so fascinating in terms of just the general idea of um, I've got a crazy idea and I just want people to support it. It's not like so much about that because people could always do that. It's the idea that like we may not have to rely on centralized institutions to fund these efforts. And I think that is one thing that's kind of screwing things up for us, at least in our plans, is because we know that this kind of effort is going to take, like, let's say, five to ten years at a minimum to be successful. Let's just say that's the time scale. Our investors two years ago were like, okay, we accept that. We'll, we'll kind of give you what you need, and then we'll, like, see where we're at. As long as we're seeing progress, we'll keep feeding you money, and we, we'll be patient. Like, they were fine with that. But now, two years later, they're seeing like Kick, which is another one of the Union Square Ventures companies, raise $100 million, $75 million, and they don't even have to go for a Series C, Series D, whatever. Like they just have enough money to keep going. And so there's this like push on that, on that side to say, hey, look, why should we, have, why should we fund you like a million dollars here and $2 million here? You know, keep doing these little trickle things when you're going to be competing with companies that can raise fifty, hundred million dollars on like crappy ideas. <laughs> so that is kind of screwing us up. And I mean, we've had to spend some time like looking through it and saying, maybe, maybe we don't understand all this. Like, maybe there is something to this. Like, is there a way we can do it that's not like going to compromise our values? I don't know. I mean, we still haven't come to a conclusion about that. And so. When we wrote our post about we'll never, you know, we don't plan on doing an ICO, we kind of left the door very tiny open to say we're not always we're not going to say that we're right about everything. Like maybe this is like a paradigm shift in terms of investments. Maybe our investors pull out. Like what do we do in six months if our investors say we know you're running out of money, but we're not giving you anymore? That's like, a problem right say, now. It's it's really yeah. a problem right now because you have this like, and I I've said it a thousand times. This is irrational exuberance over something that is a really good tool in specific use cases and like like what what would a coin be for open bazaar what's the what's the purpose of a token for open bazaar a lot of people are making money based on saying we have a token that has no particular use case because mm-hmm. there's a lot of traders just throwing money at the wall and seeing what sticks now that may allow you to make a lot of money but doesn't necessarily mean that the project you're doing is ever going to produce anything and you have a really good track record of producing a like something that provides utility for people who want to buy things or sell things. But that doesn't necessarily mean you need a token. But if you want to raise a bunch of money, should you make a token? Like, I don't, I don't have the answer for that type of thing, but it's, it puts <laughs> you in a really bad, it really puts you in a kind of a shitty scenario of actually having a good product, but watching a lot of people who have no product make tons of money. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our position, our position was always like, well, you know, people that intrinsically need a coin in their protocol, it makes sense, right? Like, so for instance, we, we use IPFS and they have Filecoin. Like for them, it creates like this incentive structure for people to provide storage. You know, you pay for the storage. That's like a pretty straightforward use case. Like 
you know, it makes sense. Like you, you take the file coin out of that and we still use IPFS without the file coin, but like for persistent data storage, no one's going to hold your shit for free forever. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be some kind of like compensation there. So that kind of makes sense. Right. Um, but for us, we've always built around the idea that like, well, if it can't be done with Bitcoin, then maybe we don't need to be like doing it. Like it should always use like the token that is part of the platform. And, and we built around that. And so, and we, and, and in terms of like what we do, since we don't use like smart contracts or anything, we don't really need Ethereum and, you know, really the token is mostly just used for payment processing. So the thing, the thing that we've done is like over the last six months or so in terms of tokens in our thought process has been, well, is there something that could like augment the network to say, is there something that is going to incentivize users to part with their coins? Is, is there something that you could do with a token that's interesting enough that would like provide some value to the network to get people to create a, this circular economy that a, a marketplace needs, right? You have mm -hmm. to have buyers, you have to have merchants. We know that like no fees is great for merchants and we've had no problem getting merchants to get excited about Open Bazaar. But the other side of the coin is how do we get buyers excited to come in? Because they have this so many options to get whatever they want, like Amazon. They can go mm. to purse and buy anything on Amazon with Bitcoin. That's not like enough, right? But let's say let's say there's a theoretical like some kind of token structure where they get rewarded for purchasing on Open Bazaar and they're getting extra value compensation out of that or something. I'm not saying that that's a viable way, but you can start to think of like the token as maybe being some kind of incentivization structure. I don't I don't know if that would work, but that's that's really kind of the only area that we're thinking. Um you know, reputation is a really dangerous area to go with tokens. Um, we haven't seen a really good way to 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 do that. That's uh, trustworthy. That that kind of makes the network any better. Um, but you know, there's a lot of conversation about what it could be. So, you know, really the biggest concern is like we want to keep the project going. We want to keep the company going. Um, you know, how do we how do we do that? So. Yeah, the next six months is going to be interesting. I mean, maybe the crypt, maybe the ICO market will fall out, and that will be like less of an option. I think it's. Oh, you missed the uh, the Bitcoin tagline. The next two weeks are very important, and that the <laughs> the Bitcoin tagline that everybody uses. <laughs> yep. Always the next two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's it, don't get me wrong. The ICO fallout will eventually happen at some point because you have this kind of dumb money just being thrown at things that isn't going to produce anything. Eventually when these projects aren't producing things, people aren't, or, or like the proliferation of people trying to sell ICOs is so big that no one can keep track of things. So they just kind of give up. Like at some point, this is going to go to a bad place. I don't know when that's going to happen. Well, I, I mean, know. I think, um, you know, a lot of these projects already are just nonsense. And, but you know, I mean, so been in the space for a couple of years now and like, and typically you can you can suss out like a decent project, a decent team, and those guys are still around. They're still working hard. They're still doing things. These other projects, they kind of circle circulate around. Like I mean, I I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but I know of several projects where you just see like this like rotating door of developers going in and out. Like a lot of people just pumping and then moving on. You know, there's just no, and then you don't see any product come out of it. Like I'm like really proud of my team because we actually try to deliver a product. I mean, this was our second version. I know we got like a lot of, you know, crit criticism for our first version because it was 
kludgy and it didn't work all that well. I mean, we know that. We spent a year we were fixing kind of it. pioneers in the space, to be honest. I mean, that's I, I, I don't I, yeah. I feel like that's the case. You you built something that didn't exist and it was clunky because this stuff is hard. Like really hard. And you've took a lot of the feedback from people in your community to make it better and you've consistently gotten better over the years of making it easier for people to buy and sell stuff online without like that that would just whatever they like my wife sells crochet crochet stuff and a, a system and Etsy is is awful and if the community yeah. but the thing is you're kind of relegated to the bitcoin community and what they want to use their bitcoin for which puts you at yep. somewhat of a disadvantage because as the price rises, it incentivizes people to hold because they're afraid to use their Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you really yeah, have I to mean, like build something that makes people want to let go of their Bitcoin. Yeah, that's that's a really hard that's a really hard problem too. And and you know, unfortunately, like while it takes time to build the product, like the whole ecosystem kind of evolves too pretty quickly. And you know, when we started, the fees were like. I mean, I know the fees are low again now, but like literally over the last two years, we've seen fees go from like when we started where it was, you know, almost nothing. And we could actually go to people and say, hey, look, there's a completely free marketplace. We used to like say, oh, it has no fees, you know, (laughs) and that's true. Like we don't take any fees, but we could also count on Bitcoin being cheap enough where it's negligible. There's like pretty much no fees. But but then for like two years, it was getting worse and worse and worse until Segwit kind of popped out and you know, now it's getting a little bit better, but like, it's still very confusing for users. And, and now, like you said, the price going up has exacerbated that issue as well, because people really have like shifted their mind from like, you know, we see this constant like narrative around, don't spend your Bitcoin, just hold it's gold, you know, like, um, you don't need to use it. But to me, like one of the most fascinating things about Bitcoin has always been that you can spend it. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to buy stupid little trinkets with it and spend dollar, you know, charges or buy coffee or whatever, which is always, you know, made fun of. But like the idea that you could just send some kind of value to your friends or someone across the world, like for really cheaply or like really quickly, really easily. Like, yeah, we have Venmo and we have all these other platforms, but like, you know, there's nothing quite like Bitcoin. It's it's just, I don't, I, you guys know it as well as I do. Like, there's just, like, I go, I went to Shanghai. I went there. I met new people. We passed Bitcoin between each other. We were buying things. We were doing things. Like, I paid for a taxi cab ride over Open Bazaar using Bitcoin when I went there. And it was just like, there was no, like, it didn't feel it didn't feel like I was like working with some company and we were kind of fighting this system. It felt like I was just dealing with this guy and we were like doing something, you know, really, really personal here. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think people are starting to lose that because they're just like all, it's all about the money, the price going up. I'm like, you know, at some point you've made this fortune, you're going to want to spend it too. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's interesting. We pick up like right there, you've made this fortune, you made this fortune and you want to spend it. Like what, is that limit that's something i've been like toying around with in my head it seems like every single time we get one of these moonshots where the price goes up or or year when the price appreciates triple digits and everybody's super happy that it just it peels off just a little bit less people that are willing to spend it you know what i'm saying like there's less as the price grows it seems like less people are willing to spend it and i i mean if it keeps headed in that direction 
that's, that's not kind money. Of bad. That's not money. That's not right. money, right? That's, well, you know, what? I mean, the funny thing was, is like in my personal experience, like so, I remember the jump to like what eleven hundred dollars or whatever at Mount Gox, and and I had bought like a good amount before that, and so seeing it go up. But you know, for me personally, I wasn't like, oh, I cannot touch any of this. What I was, it was almost for me like it was almost like being in a casino where I just won hundred thousand dollars on the slots like i can afford to spend some of this and splurge and do something with it you know like mm -hmm. so i don't think that like it's it's exclusive you know mutually exclusive that like the price going up means don't spend i think i think people just need to like use that wealth to try and bring more people into the ecosystem to grow it there used to be that spirit within the community to say you know i, I know i've seen what can happen you know as the value goes up I'm going to spread that wealth. I'm going to share that, you know, which is sad because like in the early days, like Roger Veer was actually one of the most, he was, I mean, the reason why he became famous was because he was like Bitcoin Jesus. Like he went out and he was like, I've got all these coins. I believed in it from the beginning. Here, you have some, you have some, try it. You know, he was like this evangelist and it's changed, but like we kind of lost that spirit. Now it's like this very aggressive, like defensive protection uh, against, you know, don't destroy my value kind of per perception of the network. And I mean, there are some like definitely really exciting stuff going on in the space. Like I'm, I'm very excited at how well SegWit is, is doing. That was, that's been really great. We like rushed out to implement that and that's caused fees to be really low for our users. Um, and we like that and, and layer two stuff if, if, and when it kind of comes, hopefully it will be able to solve some stuff. Um, but you know, I mean, it's just, I, it just makes me a little bit hesitant uh, to, you know, say that like all this stuff is going to succeed in like the spending marketplaces kind of technology for like people like us, PERS, you know, the the payment system uh, companies and things like that. You know, what if you're just holding it? You know, I mean, like there's there's not not that much excitement there in that. I think there's a lot more cool things we can do if we start using the currency as well as saving it. It's kind well, of like was, a tandem. That was a uh, that was a kind of a. Comp I just li recently listened to the latest. Let's talk Bitcoin, and uh, one of the guys I forget his name off the top of my head, is their one of their new hosts um, was talking about the fact that Segwit has now been initiated, may start to introduce like so because the fees were rising due to the price increase, it really disincentivized people to actually use it as a transactional medium, and and as and as those things happened it exacerbated more and more and more and it became more of a storage of value where you just hold just hold your bitcoin and hope for the best later on you bought some you expected to sell it later when the price was higher and people stopped using it whereas like you said it was like in the early days it was like use your bitcoin use your bitcoin and much of the like kind of mentality of of, of dogecoin but and but now that we have segwit the the ability to transact, especially with the oncoming Lightning Network, is gonna is gonna really start to take on, and your ability to send money using Bitcoin is gonna get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which may actually allow people to start to let go of their money, which really lets people start to sell and circulate. Like it increases the amount of Bitcoin that's in circulation, which in mm -hmm. theory should actually decrease the price of Bitcoin. So like. As we gain the utility back, we might actually see the price decrease because of it, which is something that, in my opinion, I, I welcome because it's the idea of actually using Bitcoin. But people may think that it's, it's actually losing 
are like failing because the price is decreasing because they initially got in because they thought they're just like buying gold and things are going to go up and up and up and up. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot to unpack there, but you know, I mean, essentially, like the fees going down is a really great thing for the people that want to see it be used as a currency, um, because then it's not you don't have to sit there and think like, well, if I buy this, you know, fifty dollar gadget, I'm going to end up paying fifteen dollars in fees. Like that's not worth it. I'll just use my fiat, right? They'll just hold it. And, um, you know, SegWit bringing down the fees, I, I think, you know, it's funny that like the kind of the, the community is like ripping itself apart over this hard fork thing coming in November. But in reality, like that's what that's all these people are saying is like, look, you know, we know that scaling is going to cause the fees to go down or at least be reasonable. And people are going to start using this thing again. Like that's that's what these people want to see happen. Right. And um and yeah, businesses are the ones that are driving that because, you know, if you're if you're just a core dev, you're being fun, you know, maybe you have enough coins where you don't even need to have get paid for a job, you're just doing your thing, or you work for a company that raised a hundred million dollars and you don't have any rush to like make money. You know, there's like a, a lot of reasons. You pretty much just like sitting on your on your mountain and saying, just don't screw it up for me. Like everything life is good, just don't screw it up. But you have this new influx of users that are saying like, oh, this is really cool technology. We want smart contracts. We want we want to build apps. We want to like have tokens. We want to use it as like some kind of transactional currency. And so now you're creating this huge bifurcation in the network where like, you know, this group of people wants this Bitcoin to be this thing and this other group wants it to be that. And that's causing a big problem. I think bringing the fees down, keeping the price more stable may may improve that situation and i'm hoping that like you know this time next year that there's a lot less stress in the in the you know in the space and and things have settled down around icos and all this stuff but you know what i've been in here long enough to know that that's probably not true that's probably not going to happen but (laughs) (laughs) so we work um we've worked pretty closely in the past with jeremy jeremy epstein and Mm -hmm. he's a marketer and a lot of the things that we like you know, just beat our head over our about like, it seems like Bitcoin maybe not necessarily has a marketing problem, but it just hasn't defined its brand. Like, does it even have a brand? Like, how do we get the people that want Bitcoin to be a currency and the people that are investing in it to get along with one single, like, hey, this is kind of what Bitcoin is and this is what we kind of want to branch out? Or is it because of its origins of being decentralized and nobody says what Bitcoin is or isn't that kind of holds it back. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of like people that are hardcore Bitcoin, either developers or like, you know, early, early adopters of Bitcoin kind of look at it as like all this other stuff like Ethereum and these other blockchains is, is just being noise. And like, they kind of like, enjoy the fact that 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 noise is kind of carried away from bitcoin and so you know i think they're pretty much happy with it being just this kind of foundational token that is thought of as gold um it makes it safer it makes it easier to deal with you don't have to try and like do anything crazy or innovative on top of it and and they they would rather see like all that innovation happen outside um you know i 
I mean, that, that's one of the biggest reasons why we've always remained focused on Bitcoin is because we wanted to build on the platform we felt was most secure, most stable. So I guess it's kind of hypocritical for us to ask them to change too much. But, you know, I mean, I think there needs to be some kind of middle ground where, you know, the, the Bitcoin, if it really wants to be like this, you know, like you said, there's a marketing problem, right? Like it doesn't really know like who's your target audience. I mean, I, I, I always, I always ask this, like, no, I mean, but it is, you, but, but see, that's the thing is like, it always was that. Right. But now it's yeah. like, okay, well, if you want to buy coffee, then no, it's not for you. Or if you want to do this other thing, it's not for you. Or you want to build a business and like co-op Bitcoin, it's not for you. So, you know, it's, you know, we keep people like, you know, someone will tweet like, oh, you try and move $400,000 from Kenya to to China and see how how much that costs you on the fiat system. And I'm like, how many people like that are there? How many people are doing this? <laughs> I, like I've done that's it three you, times today, Brian. I've done it. No kidding. I, I, mean, I mean, look at, look at the, most, the majority of Bitcoin holders is like, you know, are in like first world countries and, and they like talk about it. Like it's this thing, you know, they're just talking out of their ass a lot of times. So, um, you know, why don't we look at what's traditionally done really well? I mean, look at Coinbase. They're adding a hundred thousand users, like in what is it, a month, six weeks? I think I mean, they're like thirty thousand a week, or like if like if even maybe even more than that, it might be like thirty thousand a day. It's something ridiculous, it's, right? It was. I thought it was. I don't it was know. Hundred thousand last it's, month. Is that it's what? ridiculous. That's what it is. It's just that's just. I don't want damn thing. Coinbase, if you're listening, uh, Lex, if you're listening. I'm tired of being your tech support. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna put an application. <laughs> like you've got to just help people more. I know. Tired. I know people think it stinks <laughs> that they can't do the customer support, but for them, that's like the greatest thing that could possibly happen to them to have that problem. It's a great it's, problem. You're right. Using it. You I know? don't know how to use your platform, and I want to really badly. That's a really good problem. <laughs> but to but have, the, issue, actually. the issue is they're bringing in a hundred thousand people this month. Let's say new people to the ecosystem and i guarantee you those people don't understand what segwit is they don't understand they don't understand what mast is they don't understand any of this stuff they just know that like every time they log in when they pay that it's ten dollars this week and it's one dollar this week to send it and and you know and then finally they're just going to start thinking of it as like e-trade it's just like log in every six months see how it's doing or check it every month you know make sure they're doing okay like Coinbase used to be mostly focused on being like a payment system. And now they pretty much, I wouldn't be surprised if they just sold Coinbase and became GDAX primarily because that's where like all the, p the interest is. People want to go and trade and, and switch between tokens and do all that. Like that's, that's where the excitement is now. That's but, where uh, you make the quick money. But I mean, well, that's, that's part of the whole, that's part of the whole thing here, right? It's, it's it's really about like we we like our motto of the podcast since we even started was adoption was the only thing that matters. But as you really start to breach into the average everyday person, they don't give a fuck about all of these things <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, they don't. Like they and, and but like do do we want that? Is that is that what we want from this technology? Do we want it to be so pervasive that everyone uses it regardless of whether or not they're knowing they're using it? Sure. Maybe, but I think you, so. But but you need you need the middlemen that Bitcoin was introduced to cut out in order to allow that type of interaction with with this type of technology. It's so difficult to interact with that you need third party services to let them do things that they're used to. 
Otherwise, they're never going to use it, which is the kind of like, I don't know, I wouldn't call it anathema to the idea of Bitcoin, but it's certainly kind of like anathema, like like, completely against the grain of... Yeah, I know, but are you saying that right? Yeah, (laughs) that's the way I say it. Whatever, I don't care. (laughs) Anathema. Anathema. It sounds like a Marvel villain. It's a good Marvel villain. Like, I don't know, like it's... We, if you want that type of thing, then you're going to have to cater to the lowest common denominator of people who really don't care. And if you're going to do that, then it's not going to oh, look like, like Bitcoin. You're not going to you're not going to run with the original ideology of why Bitcoin of like early people who got into Bitcoin. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, so I mean, I think to- like, um, you know, right now it is. I mean, I hate using the analogy to the internet, but like, I, I mean, I remember when like, if you were into really into the internet, like every time like something kind of new would come in or cell phones, they'll just use cell phones. That's a little bit easier for the average person to kind of just grapple with. But like your cell phone, remember we had just like a regular cell phone that was like such a phenomenon, like, oh, wow, I could call people without my core, you know, I could do it from anywhere. But then like, these kinds of new advancements started trickling in and they were really crappily in, implemented. The UX was really bad. Like camera phones came on, but like the images were so bad and like mm. you couldn't send it to this person. Like they weren't <laughs> compatible. And then like, Oh, and then now you could do video and you know, and it, but I can send a video message. And then, I, you know, there's just all these different kinds of weird things happening and it. And it wasn't like consistent. And it was the same way when like iOS came out, when the iPhone came out, then Android, and they weren't like they weren't compatible very well, and like they were just both were so different. But now everything kind of converges, and I think the blockchain space is sort of like that right now. Like we're seeing all these different kind of concepts being tested and tried out. There's all this money flowing in, just like the dot com boom, and I think you know that's a good thing. I mean, I think a lot of people look at ICOs as being like this big crap storm that's going to blow up, and it probably will blow up. But the idea that like a lot of people with money, a lot of smart people are involved, it's all flowing into this space, you know, out of that, out of the ashes of that, that fallout are going to be some really cool companies, really great products. And, and I think something that's going to change the world dramatically. And so, you know, for us, like our goal is to like keep our heads down and focus on what we know works, which is building really good you know, products, really good software, listening to our users, getting feedback, trying to find a real use for it and not just building silly technology half ass and then like abandoning it. Like it's if you build if you believe in a principle, you know, if if you believe in Bitcoin as a currency, as a as a transfer of value that frees markets across the world, then like you just stick with it. You keep building that product and, and refining it until you find what works. And so that that's kind of our mission a powerful mission i hope someone listening today like understands a little bit about just kind of how bitcoin is just a little bit bigger than the price like maybe we could sway away from that conversation because that conversation tends to be the only conversation i've had about bitcoin jesus i'd love that like in like the past i don't know what two months it just seems like what's the price at what do you think it's going to what what do you think about jamie diamond like it's just (laughs) all day every day with the price so i mean that's I, I think i think price is like a proxy for whether bitcoin is working you know like i think you kind of you, you see it's this sometimes okay, like um it's not the best performance indicator it's an okay performance indicator it's, it's actually not, bad like, I like think, 
Well, I guess this... for like the average person is what I mean. You're right. Like you're right. Somebody you're who doesn't right. is not like super into it to just see it from the outside, you know, because, you know, I'll yeah. talk to my neighbor at a part dinner party. like, Oh, what's the price of Bitcoin at? You know, like that's the first go to question. And, you know, it's like, how's the weather? It does. It just doesn't mean anything really for people that actually understand what's going on. But it does cause excitement. It brings people in. I mean, there's no denying that for the year yeah, and a half where the price true. was just crap and it was in the toilet that there was less interest. I mean, I can tell you right now, you look at the the traffic charts on every Bitcoin based website and they all do this starting when the price is going up. Like, I mean, we like 10x our traffic and we didn't do anything different just based on the price going up. I mean, that, that's the only thing that changed. So yeah. it's definitely it brings people into the to the thing but it's um there's only so far you can go with that though you know like you have there has to be something else ca that captivates people's interests like you can offer a free sub sandwich but when they get in the building if like the guy making it's got dirty hands and like the sandwich is falling apart like you just <laughs> you're going to walk out right and so yeah. with bitcoin like when they show up when the people when the mainstream shows up they can't just be like, oh, it's exciting price and I'm going to stick around forever. No, they, you got to have compelling applications. you got to have compelling services. you got to have a reason to want to use this currency. I, I think that that's going to make it so much better, so much more compelling for the mainstream to get involved. Um, so, I mean, we're trying to do our part. I think there's a lot of other cool like applications that have good ideas um, and they just, you know, they stumble on the technology because it's so complex. We're not quite there yet. I mean, I read article after article about solidity being buggy and like having issues and we see smart contracts getting hacked and like that makes it really hard for teams to do things um, properly. Like if you have to fight the underlying technology, like when I built a website, I never had to be like, oh shit, TCP IP is screwing up on me. Like I, I gotta have to fix that problem. I like, know it just works, right? And like, well, like so... that's that's something. That's an argument I've had with. Like, I wouldn't say an argument. That's something I I I discussed with Charlie Shrimp. It's like this. Like Bitcoin started a new concept, and that it, it it offloaded a lot of the responsibility to the end user, the the edge node, and if you will, like the wallet, which meant that people had to start being responsible for their own private keys and how to deal with their own finances and how to secure those things, which is this is still an issue. And people coming into the space. And as you generalize the technology and allow people to start building more and more complicated applications, people now have to start being responsible in how they make smart contracts or applications that are built on a blockchain. And that's not something people are comfortable with. Like people who are comfortable with writing JavaScript are not thinking about the things you need to think about when writing smart contracts. And that's going to take some time. That's going to take some vetting. And people are not going to exploit bugs until there's a significant amount of money, significant amount of money that they can make off the bug that they know how to exploit. And it's that's just simply gonna take time. And since it's so nascent, that's where we're at right now. And, and there's no there's no getting around that. When you put money into the equation, which is basically like a a, a very significant part of a open public blockchain community then it changes the way you have to interact with that type of thing, which humans, based on their experience with the internet and, and, the, and the efficiencies that it's provided, are not accustomed to doing. And it's only going to take some time until those like social differences start to take place. And we're seeing that as we start to build more and more and more things, try new things, 
in this space. And like, I, I imagine you've, you've experienced the same thing. The types of bugs or things you've had to fix or feedback from the users that you get, it's not something you, you, like, you would have thought coming because it's not like a typical client server application you would build and do t- customer support for. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's our our situation is like is is extremely odd because, um, well, I mean, for instance, let's say you're building a Bitcoin wallet. Like, there's no one is going to come along and be like, "Hey, I'm using a something really similar to a wallet, and I know how it should work. I've been using this for 20 years." But in the e-commerce yeah. scenario, you got people who are like, "I've been on eBay for 30 years, and I've never had to." you know, download an app and install it. I've never had to poke holes in my firewall. I never had to do peer to peer. Like those are all new challenges that like these people, they already have these preconceived notions of how something should work and it doesn't work this way. And so we have to always constantly fight like user feedback, which will be like, well, you don't work like a centralized app. And we're like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Okay. (laughs) You know, like, uh, you're right. You know, like they don't have a good answer for you, but you know, so we we have to sit there and we have to think like, look, can we make this more similar to a centralized app, but yet still be decentralized? I mean, I think these are the kinds of questions that these teams have to ask as we build more apps. Is like, you know, we know what works on the centralized side, but are we able to properly emulate it, or do we really need to just be something completely different and just embrace it and try to explain it to users? But that takes a lot longer. So, um, you know, those are some some questions that we haven't really answered yet, but. I mean, if you if you if you use the new ver- version of our software, you see like we're making a lot of strides in that direction where people are. are like starting to think like, oh, this this actually could be like something viable, like it's it could compete, um, and that's our goal. I have used both versions. The first version, I actually lost thirty six Litecoin because of totally <laughs> my fault. I I didn't have enough room on my hard drive to install it, so I went. And I deleted my app data file. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. That's what you happened. You cannot exactly blame OpenBazaar on your ridiculous decision I'm, to delete your app data I'm, folder. I'm blank OpenBazaar. I blame them. <laughs> I'm, no. eBay would have given back his Litecoin. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My Litecoin is gone. But I got some more since. But, I got um, 40, 40 minutes in. I got a question. <laughs> there he is. How are you doing? Yeah, well, I, I was curious because you said that you're still trying to, I don't want to mince your words, but kind of understand your audience even after the software is built up. And then you said you wanted to make a user experience that's kind of similar to Etsy. And, it, you know, to people like Corey and Dimitri, I think understanding your audience and their needs first sounds easy to do, but often designers like me, that that's kind of my day job. Designers just kind of want to jump right into the design because we find it fun or love the feeling of producing work. And so the cycle of a bad design process can begin there because we don't know how much we don't know much about the users that we still want to solve a problem. So we look at other designs and see how other people have solved similar issues instead of identifying the unique problem that we're facing from the very beginning. And we might design something similar to an existing solution, but then we realize it doesn't feel quite right. So then we look at more designs and we try to plug them in and maybe we make something cool along the way, but it's not useful. And this process can happen over and over. So when you guys were building your software before diving straight into a solution, did you guys kind of ask, you know, like as we build 2.0, what stories do they have? What problems do they face? And if we've solved the same problems before, well, how did we solve them and how well did we solve them? 
So how is this software going to be a little bit different than 2.0 if you're if we're still trying to figure out this niche Bitcoin community that maybe only 2% of the world knows about? Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good a really good point in question. I mean, so the way that we looked at uh 2.0 is really kind of like okay. No. We got 1.0 out and like that was an accomplishment on its own. We were just like, look at it. We're like, can we build this network? Can we build a software? Can we get it to work? Um, but then we looked at it and it kind of was like this like Frankenstein baby that we created and we're like, uh, not really sure that this works, that works, whatever. So 2.0 kind of started out as like, well, can we in like six months get a better version of this out and just kind of resolve the, the biggest hurdles, like the being able to install it properly, like having it be stable, like, can we just address that? But as we started getting feedback and like using it, we realized that like we had to go back to the drawing board on a lot of that. And one of the biggest things was like the IPFS transition. So, you know, we knew that like most people who are, who are um, merchants are not used to this concept of like running their own server, right? Like it's just, it's kind of foreign. They're like used to somebody managing their whole marketplace for them. And so we had to like resolve that and IPFS helped us with that. So, you know, design for the most part is like, okay, we just have to figure out like what is the decentralized technology behind the scenes that's going to make it so that we can kind of provide a very similar UX on the e-commerce part. Um, yeah, I mean, now the question that is a little bit deeper there that you had, which is that's great, fine, you can emulate that. That's pretty straightforward. But is that really what like crypto people want? Is that what's going to make sense for people that are using Bitcoin? Like, do right. they care about having an Etsy? Like, maybe they just use Etsy and they're actually looking for something completely different. Now, that's something that like maybe we haven't really fully cracked that nut because. You know, if we had, we would have like 2 million, 3 million, 4 million users because it clearly be better than the competition. But, um, but you know, we are starting to see like hints of like where we will start to deviate from those uh, traditional marketplaces. For instance, like, um, like digital goods, like the ability to do like digital goods distribution in like a peer-to-peer fashion. So like basically be able to like monetize something similar to BitTorrent or like streaming video. Those those areas are things that like they don't exist on the centralized side, right? Like you you have to go to a YouTube, you have to go to, you know, these other platforms, and and it, and an automated system with like smart contracts and like cryptocurrency is just perfect for that kind of use case. And we haven't really got there. We haven't really figured out how to do that properly. But I think those kinds of things are like the next frontier. It's going to expand beyond that eBay, you know, Bitcoin eBay idea. It's going to be more than that. Um, and that's when you start to see people get like real scared because those, those silos, those YouTubes and stuff are just so ripe for disruption. I mean, they're just super ripe to get, get screwed up. Um, they think they're impenetrable though. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, when content producers realize they don't have to give up 40% of their revenue and they could just slap it up on one of these guys and anybody around the world instantly. I mean, like when we launched open bazaar one, we were in over 160 countries, like on day one. We had peers running in, in over 160 countries. Like YouTube can't compete with that concept, you know. Like they can't launch in all those countries legally, with, with copyright protection and all that crap. Like it's never going to happen. But these decentralized apps that are run by the people, they're regulated by the users. 
they kind of are outside of that regulatory requirement. They can be more nimble. They can be faster. They can be cheaper. So um, I think, you know, that's that's a future we're going to see happen quicker than we think. Good deal. It's it's an exciting future. It always is exciting when you're enthusiastic about the stuff. Um, but everyone that's sitting on the sidelines, I pity you. You should get you should get involved. But we're gonna wrap it up. I'm gonna ask you could be the hardest question we've asked you um, <laughs> all night. So I hope you're ready. And it is in ten words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? Describe Bitcoin in ten words or less. Um... Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah. I would say it is... Um, I would say it's, it's a technology that allows you to be free about how you... Wow, that's so many words. Um, I wasted so many with like A's and M's <laughs> and <buzz>. Um <laughs> I mean, I just say it's unstoppable money, man. It's that's all it is. I mean, it's just unstoppable. Like <laughs> it can do anything, it can be anything, and it can go anywhere. So, unstoppable money, comma man. Man, that's what I'm gonna put it. That's right. Unstoppable <laughs> money, man. I like that. Well, um, we had a few more questions, but we had to wrap it up. Thank you for stopping by. Um, you're more than welcome anytime. If there's any open bazaar announcements, uh, you want to make sure. Our audience gets to you. You know, more than welcome to stop by. Open invitation to our show. Awesome, thanks. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd love to just pump real quick. Uh, we have crypto is currency day on September 29th. So oh. if you go to cryptoiscurrency.com, you can um, I you can click a link and it'll help. You can show support. It'll, it'll like allow you to like tweet it out. But like basically, the idea is like it's one day when all the people in the space that. It, you know, are building applications and services for using crypto as currency um, are, are part of it. We got a bunch of really great partners like Shapeshift and um, Zcash and Monero, and like they're all supporting this this concept. So that's the day you can go out and and support merchants that are offering things for cryptocurrency and um, just trying to bring more awareness to like actually using your coins. That's something that Jeremy Epstein has uh, has mentioned to us, and we're definitely going to be a part of that. So we have a we have a store that sells hats and shirts on on Open Bazaar right now. So we'll definitely be a part of that. That uh, we do. Awesome. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, like uh, let me know. We'll tweet that out. Yeah, let's I'm, do it. I'm, I'm always looking for stuff to make people angry on Twitter about. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something about that the other day. Anyways, thanks for coming by. Thanks a lot.